all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hey, welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, and it's our uh, Wednesday, Sunday, early morning get-together about all things medical, anything you're interested in talking about, and I try to keep you up to date on the latest and greatest in medicine, and boy, there is a lot going on, a lot going on, a lot of new treatments, and in addition to all the politics having to do with health care and who's going to pay for what and so forth and so on, there are some wonderful, wonderful new treatments coming down called Biologics. And biologics are manufactured drugs, chemicals, uh, that target specific molecular receptors uh, that control cell growth or function. For instance, uh, there are certain uh, um, chemicals released from cells in patients with asthma and they have developed uh, these biologics that interfere with the way that they work, inhibits the growth of eosinophils, which is one of the white cells that causes asthma and allergic rhinitis. And we can give those to people now in clinic uh, and watch their eosinophil counts, their allergy cells in the blood, go to zero. And their symptoms just, boom, they're gone. It's almost magic. And the side effects are just about nothing other than on your pocketbook. They're ridiculously expensive. And we are constantly fighting with insurance companies to try to get them for our patients, but they don't want to pay for them because, you know, you're talking about forty or $60,000 a year for these new products, and they're obscenely expensive. But they are wonderful, and they will be cheaper uh, in the future. And uh, you just have to hope you don't need them before they're available. Hey, it's uh, Southern Remedy. It's uh, our producer, Jay White, and me here with you, just trying to uh, keep you warm and dry. And we'd love to hear from you at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can send us an email at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Biloxi and Lena. Hey, Lena, is it wet down there? Excuse me? Or is it wet down there? Not at the moment. We're expecting rain, though, later today. We got drowned up here. You know how I uh, tell how much uh, rainfall we've had? By your bunions? Uh, that's a good way. No, I'm much less sophisticated. I leave the lid open on my garbage can, <laughs> and then I can come out in the morning and see how deep it is in there. And that's uh, <laughs> we had two and a half inches last night, so oh, wow. I, I do that sometimes, too. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes on purpose, sometimes not on purpose. Right. Yeah. Correct. What's what's on your mind? I have a 24-year-old granddaughter who doesn't smoke or doesn't drink. She's not overweight. In fact, she hardly eats anything. Mm-hmm. And in the last, I'd say, two years, she's had four seizures. Oh. And one of them was in a doctor's office with her father. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had gone previous to this last thing. Even she was sleeping and her her roommate woke her up from her sleep and saying, you're having a seizure. Let's go to the emergency room. She finally found her way to a neurologist. Mm -hmm. He prescribed some medicine. I don't know what it was. She took it and it made her feel uh, suicidal. Uh She told the doctor about it. He said, well, if you can't take the drugs, I can't treat you. And that was the end of that. You need to find another neurologist. I know, but it's very hard for her to get to see one with her. Well, you don't uh, want that one, no right. matter he's, what. He's, he's passed away. Yeah. Well, I'm so sorry about that, but that's crazy. So what is your question? 
So what can she do? I'm Listen, that is, seizure disorders are totally fixable. It is a very, very small number of people that have these that we can't fix them. Now, the first step is to find out what the cause is. And there are two things that are done, especially on a young person like this, is to get an MRI to make sure that's a magnetic residence. It's basically a non-X-ray imaging test of the brain to make sure there's no tumor or any other abnormality up there. Um, and uh, then an EEG, which is an electrical test to see how your brain waves work, because sometimes that can spot the place in the brain that the wiring is goofed up in. There's a, some kind of cross wire somewhere. Our, our brains are basically a giant computer, <clears throat> but it's hardwired. There's no wireless up there. So the wires can get crossed and bent and cut and all that kind of stuff, and you can have problems. So those two tests, plus a history and physical and some laboratory data to make sure that there's there are no biochemical causes of it. And then there are, <clears throat> there are different seizure medicines for different types of seizure. It sounds like she had grand mal, had grand mal epilepsy, which that's is what, mm-hmm. that's what I was. Thinking. That means everything jerks all over. And uh, and and that usually is Kepra is usually the one that they use first, but there are others. And uh, a general internist, if you can't get her to a neurologist quick quickly enough, a board certified specialist in internal medicine would be somebody you could get her to see quickly. And there are good ones in in the Biloxi area uh, to go ahead and get this started. I, I I really like the concept, and it's because, I guess, because I'm an internist, and pediatrician, of letting the uh, primary care doctors uh, run uh, a block with a specialist for you. So uh, what I tell the patients that I see is I, if I uh, refer them to a specialist, I tell them, uh, I send the specialist an email Tell them what I want. I tell the person to call me back or send me an email if they weren't confused. And I also don't send um, consults to any doctors that don't send notes back about what they did. And uh, then if there's a problem, the patient comes back to me, and I run uh, I run the ball for them with the specialist. So if you don't have a primary care doctor, like in this case an internist for somebody that age, um, or a family medicine doctor uh, that's willing to pick that up, then you're in trouble. So I, I think if you're having trouble finding, first of all, we got neurologists here at the medical center. I think they've got some over at USA, and I know they've got some primary care doctors, uh, uh, good primary care doctors in your area. And LSU, of course, and Tulane uh, both have neurologists. So there, there are neurologists around, and you shouldn't have that much trouble. Uh, does she have insurance? Well, she was uh, with the Obamacare, so I don't know what the status of her coverage is now. But she lives in the New Orleans area. Oh, that's that great. Way. There you go. So uh, she needs to uh, find her. Uh, if she can't find a neurologist, get her an internist, preferably. Uh, Board certified. Yep. And preferably well, you know, hmm? preferably at a center that has neurologists. So if you get one that's working with one of the hospital systems in New Orleans, not just out by himself or herself, uh, then they have better access to the specialist in their group. So that may be the most expeditious way to get her taken care yeah. of. How's yeah. that? That sounds great. And by well, the way, I knew you I, I knew you were from New Orleans. <laughs> you know, as a grandmother, she drives a, a car, and I'm so afraid that she's going to I understand. I, I, I really get it. I really have been there and understand, and I know it just worries you to death and stay up nights wondering what what's going to happen to her. Uh, but if she is not willing uh, to get on the phone and find this out, you could get on the phone and call um, you know, Oxner, LSU, or Tulane. They have a patient information line there for appointments, and you can go ahead and find out who's available and then share that with her and let her do it. She probably would be much more likely to follow through if you did all the work. 
probably. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, I sure appreciate your help, and thank you. I listen to your program a lot, and I'm a very big fan. Thank well, you. Well, thank you for calling in. We appreciate it. Let's go. Hey, we'd love to take your phone call. We're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. I've got a whole bunch of things I'd love to talk about that you don't want to hear. So please call in with your questions, or otherwise I will start pontificating about various things, and uh, and uh, you don't want to hear that. So let's go to Mobile and John. Hey, John. Yeah, good morning, Dr. Rick, and thank you for taking my call. Good to hear from anybody in Mobile. Oh, great. Uh, great to hear from you. Yeah, thanks. Um, uh, let's see. I've, I've got a, a wrenched ankle. It, it seems like it would be something pretty simple to um, talk about. Monday evening, I was uh, walking to a community meeting, and it was dark, and my left foot managed to find, well, at one point I had to jog, and when I was doing that, which I'm not used to doing, my left foot found a way to get turned very badly, very suddenly, and um, it it was very painful. So... um, Later on, I found that I could barely walk on it if I used it as a peg leg mm-hmm. and um, did nothing uh, to, like, put it on ice or put it up. Um, but the next day, uh, yesterday, I stayed off my feet as much as possible, and um, I was amazed that as bad as this felt, uh, the, um, the pain had diminished tremendously. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I thought that it was possible I had broken my yeah, ankle. Yeah. But uh, the pain had d- diminished tremendously, although there had been swelling. And there was uh, a uh, kind of a purple stripe beneath my outside ankle bone near the sole. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I wonder what this is doing. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, today, even the swelling is going down. Mm-hmm. I mean, it st- om- looks almost like my right foot. And what I guess I want to know is, isn't this unusual, and uh, how do I avoid doing something dumb? Okay. That, that's a good question, and it's a frequent problem, because a lot of us are always twisting our ankles doing this and that. And uh, so the question I have is, can you bear weight on it now? Yeah. Oh, okay, um, good. All right. So When it first happened, mm-hmm. like I said, I could only use it almost like a peg leg. Mm-hmm with the right leg doing most of the forward motion. Mm-hmm. Well, now I can walk almost perfectly normally, okay. and there's uh, I many times forget that it's even there, but I don't want to, as badly as it felt Monday evening, I right. don't want to overdo something and make things worse. Okay, so the categories, uh, the categories of these uh, injuries are sprains, strains, and fractures. And the one that's the booger boo, actually, uh, frequently fractures are easier to take care of than anything else because you just throw them in a, uh, a, a cast or a walking boot and stabilize it till it heals in 6 to 12 weeks. Sprains can become chronic if you don't take care of them, and that's what you're really asking me, I think, is uh, what's going on. If that was fractured, you would not be able to walk on it this soon. And it probably would get more painful rather than less. So what you have done is both a sprain and a strain. You've actually torn tissue, and that stripe is blood where that rip took place uh, somewhere in that area and then settled by gravity where you could see it. So you had a pretty significant tear in something. I don't know what it was, whether it was a tendon or um, what. But there are a lot of different parts and pieces to the ankle and foot. But if you're able to normally walk on it without pain, then you need to take care of it. And that is don't do a lot of weight bearing on that uh, leg until uh, for at least a couple of weeks. I'm not saying don't walk. I'm just not saying don't be lifting uh, 100-pound bags of cement or stuff like that that's going to put a whole lot of weight on it. And... uh, what I would have done had you not told me it was getting better uh, was to tell you to go to the drugstore and get a walking boot. Those are boots that sort of stabilize your ankle 
uh, and uh, keep you from moving it in, in an appropriate, keep your ankle in appropriate anatomic condition. But right now, all that's good. It's too late to use ice. You can always use heat on it this late. You can take a little bit of Tylenol or a non-steroidal if it uh, acts up. But in general, I think you're on the heel and I, uh, on the, on the, uh, you're healing up. And uh, and and I don't think there's much of anything you need to do other than don't do a lot of heavy weight bearing for a couple of weeks. I th- did that get you where you want to be? Yeah, it is. Thank uh, you. All sir. right, thank you. Good good to hear from you. We've got open lines at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, and that's one eight seven seven MPB ring. And we're fixing to go to Beaumont, and we would love to go to your your house. If you give us a call. So uh, here's an email I want to pick up. Sue, I hope you'll wait just a second uh, while I answer this email that we have. Uh, here's a question. Folks are always wanting to know the answer to this question, and it's when to have a knee replacement. I get this question really frequently, and usually it's preceded by I had an X-ray on my knee, and I have bone on bone. And now they want me to do a knee replacement. Should I do it? Well, the answer is the thing that determines whether or not you have uh, a prosthetic uh, knee implanted, a knee implant, is not the x-ray. Because some of the worst x-rays you'll ever see, people have no symptoms at all. So what, what determines when you'll have a knee replaced is whether or not you have enough pain to justify uh, the risk of having the thing put in. You want to put off uh, having a knee replacement as long as possible because they, like you, wear out. And uh, so you would like to have one done. They last 10 years or so, sometimes longer, sometimes shorter. And depending on how you, whether you're a jogger or what you're doing, with your knee. So when it gets to the point where some Tylenol and physical therapy uh, uh, doesn't work or you're losing sleep, hurts in the middle of the night, that's the time to tell your orthopedist I'm ready, uh, but not on the basis of just the knee film alone. Let's go to Beaumont and Sue. Hey, Sue. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I want to know what to do about this seasonal affective disorder because these constant gray skies and rain and the snow and all the Siberian weather is really is about to get me. So, Well, the, the first answer is do not move to Seattle, Washington. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, you would not do well there. Neither would I. Uh, <clears throat> so there are, there's actually a lot of research on this problem because it's such com- so common. I bet you half of our listeners get down when it's gray all the time. Uh, I certainly do. So the uh, the great thing is is that we have LED lights now, and uh, LED lights are uh, extremely bright and extremely cheap and last forever. And uh, for a number of years, they have had lamps for people with um, with this disorder, seasonal affective disorder, which means you get depressed. Uh, during uh, certain seasons, usually during the winter. You can get it during Christmas if you've had a lot of um, bad memories about Christmas or sadness uh, or any other occasion. Valentine's can do this if you've lost uh, a loved one. Uh, So it, it can be seasonal, but the big season is the winter when it's so dark. So the answer to that is uh, increase the the amount of light that you get exposed to during the day. And uh, LED lights are really very good for this. You don't have to buy one of these LED uh, lamps that they've been selling for years at ridiculous prices for this because now you can get LED bulbs and put them in most of your fixtures. So I would brighten up that part of the house where you spend most of your time. Of course, the worst thing you can do is have a lot of exposure to bright light before you go to sleep at night because it's very difficult to get sleep if you do that. So you will need to need to get up in the morning, turn on all the lights, uh, and uh, get the, everything brightened up. 
uh, and then uh, somewhere about an hour before bedtime, start dimming things down uh, where you can go to sleep on time. But that is the most important thing. Uh, I don't um, I don't recommend taking antidepressant for this unless you get uh, dysfunctional in your ability to function in your environment. Uh, but uh, that that will do it. And I will tell you, I've tried it and it works great. So that that's it, Sue. That's the best I can do, and it's cheap. And uh, just don't let any don't climb on a ladder. Get somebody else to put those bulbs in for you. And thanks for your call. You're listening to Southern Remedy at MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. It's uh, open mic. We'd love to have your call. We have open lines. We're at one eight seven seven six seven two. Seven four six four. We're going to take a brief uh, break while I blow my nose, and we will be right back to take your call or your email. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hey, welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. I'm here ready to take your call. This is the live version on Wednesday and the embalmed version on Sunday. So those of you who are listening on Sunday, good early morning. And thanks for joining us. We're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. That's one eight seven seven MPB ring. And we have open lines. And if you call now, rather than waiting to the end of the show, you will get in immediately, and we will talk about whatever is on your mind. This time of year, a lot of folks uh, are complaining uh, about itching, and I get a, a lot of office visits about. Uh, every winter I start itching all over and my, my skin is flaky and so forth. And the bottom line on that is you're dried up. And that's, uh, that's the problem. In Europe, people don't take baths every day like we do. And when you take a baths every day, especially if you use a harsh antiseptic soap, you basically take all the moisture and oil out of your skin And when the humidity is lower, as it is with the heat on, your skin dries out and it gets itchy and flaky. So it's it's a real problem because uh, you start scratching it and it can actually get infected. So the answer for this is, A, cut the number of baths you have down to a minimum. Uh, That's for sure. And that's what deodorant's for. You don't have to worry about smelling bad. You can use a deodorant. Uh, So... Three times a week is what we recommend, if possible. I know that's obscene to some folks. Uh, And secondly, apply a moisturizer. Now, there are three kinds of moisturizers. There's ointments, creams, and lotions. The ointments are best, the creams are second, and the lotions aren't very good. The lotions are the easiest to use. Uh, The creams are pretty easy, and the ointments are, are hard because they're sticky, And I'm talking about Vaseline Petroleum Jelly, which works great. I'm talking about Eucerin, which is the one I recommend in the ointment uh, area. Uh, Creams like CeraVe or Eucerin. And then there's a Jillian lotions, and they're usually on sale at your local drugstore. So any, any one of those that you use is much better than any one you don't use. My recommendation is to grease up twice a day. Uh, probably with Eucerin because it's dirt cheap. It comes in a one-pound jar, and that's what you need. 
Or if you want to spend money, you can get CeraVe, which is uh, is a sort of a mixture of a lotion and a cream, but works real well. It also helps your dry hands if you put it on. You put it on after you pat dry after your bath or shower, then grease up uh, from head to toe uh, wherever you're dry, and uh, and then uh, run around in your underwear for a few minutes till it dries in, and then put on your clothes, and you should be fine. All of these products that I'm talking about wash out uh, with the washer, so you're not going to ruin any clothes. So there you go. That's my quickie and dirty approach to winter skin. I don't recommend taking antihistamines. I just uh, recommend getting your skin moist, and that usually stops the problem. All right, let's go back to the phones, and let's go to Gus and Belzona. Hey, hey, uh, Gus. Good morning, Dr. Rick. How are you? Doing good. How are things up in Belzona? Cold. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Y'all have had rain and cold, haven't you? Yeah, we have. Yeah. Listen, um, I'll try to make this kind of brief. Um, I'm a nurse, and uh, kind of, I have a question that's probably a little bit more in-depth. But And uh, I'm healthy. I'm uh, 58, uh, no medical problems. And back in November, I got diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Yep. And I was started on um, bendamustine and uh, rituxan, which is uh, two chemotherapy drugs that I get every 28 days. Right. And I'm three out of six uh, uh, cycles. I'm three in. Uh, I go through the typical, you know, malaise post-chemotherapy, uh, uh, no nausea, no vomiting, no hair loss. Everything goes along pretty good. But my, I've got this phenomenon that's happening about every three weeks post-treatment where I get this rash like on the inside of my thighs, uh, on my back, uh, a spot on my chest. It's just real sporadic. And um, when I spoke to my oncologist about it, he wanted to, you know, his biggest concern was to ease my mind that I wasn't having a reaction to something. So I went online and I started looking, trying to find a rash that looked similar to what I had. And what I came across um, was um, when people that are on dialysis uh, have a high phosphorus content, they have a rash that looks exactly like mine. And according to what I've read, the bendamustine and the rituxan, when the cancer cells are lysed, they release uh, potassium, uric acid, and phosphorus in high amounts in your bloodstream. Yeah. So now that gets me my my question, which is, what can I do if that is the case that can help um, uh, precipitate getting this out of my system faster? Is it fluid or exercise or? Uh, I mean, yeah. That's a great question, like- and you're 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 amazing. Uh, you've done some interesting research. Uh, I think the first the first thing is to make sure the diagnosis is correct. And uh, during the nadir, the the point when your white blood cells are working the least, uh, the nadir of your um, chemotherapy, which is a couple of weeks uh, after you get it, uh, your ability to fight infections uh, is uh, very low. Uh, as compared to normal, and your response to the infections you get is atypical. And the areas you mentioned, especially on your thighs, are areas where uh, fungus grows. And um, one of the things that I would want to know before uh, or at the same time you think about what else to, to do is to make sure that that rash is not a fungal rash uh, because uh, it's so simple to get rid of. And uh, the, the other possibility, there's no answer for that I'm aware of it, but I will tell you what I would do if that was the issue. Uh, so that would be number one. You can do it two ways. Uh, you can go to a dermatologist and have him scrape it, put it on the microscope and culture it and see what it is, or maybe even do a biopsy when it's there. That would give you a definitive answer. Or the next time it comes up, you can take a magic marker and and mark it on both sides of your thigh. Treat one side with a topical antifungal that you would get uh, over the counter or you may have some at work, whatever. Um, Treat it by the directions and compare the treated with the untreated and you'll find out whether it's fungal. Um, we don't like the combination antifungals and antibacterials. This would be a pure 
antifungal over the counter, Lotrimin and there are a whole bunch of others. So that's that's the answer. That's where I would start if I was going to do it myself. Uh, I'm close to dermatologists, so I run down there every time I get a you know anything, have them look at it, and uh, it wouldn't hurt if you could get to a dermatologist. Let's talk about the phosphate problem. Uh, the the rash that the uh, dialysis patients have is a very complex biochemical rash. Now, phosphate is is uh, is excreted through the kidneys uh, immediately. And if you, one of the signs of malnutrition is low albumin and low phosphate, the you can measure phosphate by getting a phosphor uh, a blood phosphorus test. So. What I would do is talk to my oncologist, tell, tell him you're worried about this to get it out of the way and just get a phosphate, serum phosphate level when you have the rash and see if it's up. And if it's not, it's li- unlikely that that's the problem. If it is, increasing your fluid intake and making sure you have normal kidney function would be the way to deal with it. I am glad that you got a diagnosis, and I am glad that you're responding, and that particular uh, drug mix is a great mix the rituxan has changed the way uh, that we manage lymphoma and has increased the survival rate and the remission rate astronomically. So I'm sorry that happened to you, but I'm glad you're on good therapy. And if you want to talk more about it, just drop me an email and we'll go from there. Thank you for your call, Gus. Let's go to Vicksburg and Teresa. Hey, Teresa, what's wrong with your foot? Well, I've been diagnosed with Morton's neuroma, mm-hmm. and the meat on the bottom of my feet has calcified. And I used to walk three miles a day, and now I'm down to walking none. It, it is very painful. And I don't know if there's anything I can do for it or not. Yeah. So Morton's neuroma, <clears throat> the, the toes uh, have a blood supply, an artery, and a vein. You know, an artery takes the blood in, a vein takes it out. It supplies oxygen to the tissues of your toes and nerves, N-E-R-V-E-S. And there is a fairly large cutaneous nerve there on the bottom that if you bang your feet uh, on uh, long enough, you can get a neuroma, which is an irritant uh, growth of that particular nerve, and it can cause a lot of pain in your feet. This deal with calcification is not usually part of that. Usually it's just simply an aroma. And this is sometimes misdiagnosed. It's hard to diagnose. But um, the sometimes you can feel it. Sometimes you can get an MRI of it. Uh, but before it is removed, which is the solution for that, is to cut it out, uh, you have to have a test done to make sure the diagnosis is correct, and that is to inject some lidocaine, xylocaine, numbing stuff like you have with your teeth extraction into that area and make sure the pain goes away. If it doesn't, the diagnosis is not right. You shouldn't have the surgery. So that surgery can be done by an orthopedist, uh, an orthopedic foot surgeon, or a podiatrist, and uh, that's the answer. But I'm I'm really not not totally convinced there isn't something going on if you uh, have calcium uh, in your foot. What was the deal on that? I'm 61, and I've had two bunionectomies, and I don't know if it's later on in life your bones and stuff start acting up or what. But I I used to, I, was, I was told that the shoes that I was wearing wasn't supporting the bottom of my feet. Mm-hmm. And that's some of the problem it's caused. Wait, did they tell you you had calcium on an x-ray in your feet? Well, I I was just talking to the doctor, and she said that I I had calcification. Oh, well, I I don't know what that means. That may may mean you just have osteoarthritis. If you have calcification... I've been diagnosed with that, osteoarthritis. Yeah, that's probably what she's talking about. What happens in osteoarthritis is... Uh, you get too much bone growth. Rheumatoid arthritis, which is the most common cause of inflammatory arthritis, you lose bone. 
uh, with osteoarthritis, old age arthritis, in your case at a young age, I'm sure, uh, is an overgrowth of bone. That's why you get those bumps on the ends of your fingers and uh, all that calcified bone in various places. As we get older, our foot settles. Women never get their shoe size changed. They're wearing the same shoes they did that uh, size that they did when they were 17. And that uh, very much uh, distorts the anatomy of the foot such that you get bunions on the side and osteoarthritis underneath. So this is a common problem. It's a fashion issue. Uh, and uh, uh, the most important thing you can do is get your shoe size uh, measured and go to a shoe as you get older that provides support for pronation, which is turning in your foot, which commonly occurs, and splaying of your forefoot where your your foot settles out and you start banging the front of your foot because you've lost the spring because your arch is no longer in place. So uh, there are shoes like uh, New Balance, the high number shoes that have roll bars in them to correct that. There are some dress shoes now that are very nice. I don't have any stock in Vionics or Allegra or Allegra, whatever they call it, and these other shoes that they sell at discount that are specially made for people with foot problems, but I will tell you they work. So if you want more information, Teresa, that's probably more than you wanted already, but you do need to see to get an appropriate fitting. There's a, a person called an orthodist. That is a person who makes orthotics uh, that can be very helpful. We have them in the Department of Orthopedics at UMC. There are some in some of the locations in the state, maybe one in Vicksburg, I'm not sure, but there will be a custom fit orthotic that can help this as well. But if you really have uh, a Morton's, the best thing to do is, if it's real bad, have it removed. And uh, so that's that's the story on that. And thanks for your call. Let's go to your house. If you give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven four six four, we're going to go to Jonathan on the on the road and uh, Willie in Greenwood. In just a second, we've got a whole bunch of emails. I just want to read one. I'm seventy and uh, did not need a hysterectomy. Uh, what is the functions uh, functions of these organs? After a certain age, is there a study that indicates cancer uh, developing in the or- in these organs? All right, so this is a common set of questions. I got a uterus that doesn't work any what uh, anymore. It's it's just sitting there looking at me, um, and the only thing it's good for is developing cancer. Uh, what should I do to prevent cancer? And uh, uh, is there anything I can do simply to prevent it? Well, the answer is. Uh, uh, uterine cancer uh, is a real problem, as is cervical cancer, and that's why we recommend that uh, even though you're older, that you have uh, have uh, uh, pap smears and mammograms, even though the the uh, many of the uh, preventive care folks say you shouldn't have them very often. Uh, people are living to ninety and older now, and if you're in good health and you're 70, uh, you should still have a pelvic exam where the doctor can feel your uterus and detect uh, anything that's abnormal there and also get a pap smear off of your um, uh, cervix. Now, you need to ask them if uh, Medicare will pay for it. I think Medicare is still paying for it for indications and especially if you have a family history uh, of or, or have had uh, cervical dysplasia before, uh, that's something you should be concerned about and uh, get followed up. But I think going to your uh, primary care doctor and letting that doctor guide you on the basis of your history is how much screening you need to have. But certainly if you suddenly start uh, having periods again, or any kind of unusual discharge, that is a, um, a red flag to go in quickly and have it checked. And I, I don't see any reason to have a hysterectomy just because you got something that doesn't work, because usually there's, there's no problem. Thanks for your call. We appreciate it. Let's go. 
Where, Jay? Where shall we go? Hey, Jonathan, what's going on? Hey, Dr. Rick. Uh, firstly, I want to say what an amazing program you have here. Uh, my dad's actually a, an internist outside of Chattanooga right now, and I've always told him that he should do something like this, and uh, I think it's a, a great show to uh, uh, boost the health knowledge and, and awareness around the community, so uh, great work there. We appreciate uh, it. But what I, I wanted to talk to you about, um, so I have a really bad issue with sweating, uh, my palms and under my arms especially, and I've tried a variety of different uh, products like Certain Dry and just about any other deodorant uh, you can tell me about, but uh, I wasn't sure if you knew of any sort of holistic remedies or uh, different products I could try to uh, manage the sweating. Yeah, well, <clears throat> that is not an uncommon complaint, and uh, some people sweat so much that it's an embarrassment, especially under their arms and their shirts are wet all the time. And I'm probably in, in that crowd. Yeah, and so, so it, it can be a real issue. It's called hyperhidrosis, hyper, H-Y-P-E-R, hidrosis. I think it's H-Y-D-R-O-S-I-S. You can Google it. Uh, and uh, you're correct. The usual treatment for this is, uh, is you know, antiperspirants. Uh, uh, the 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 there is a deodorant and an antiperspirant and a combination of the two and what you've done is you've gotten a clinical antiperspirant and that isn't working on either your hands or elsewhere. There is a uh, uh, there is no folk remedy, home remedy, or other uh, pills that I would recommend for this. Because you need to be able to sweat. The reason we sweat is, uh, you know, it helps us control our body temperature. And if you can't sweat, you can become hyperthermic. So it's not something you want to lose the ability to do by taking pills that dry you up. And there are some pills that do that, like Benadryl. And occasionally I will have someone who does not have a reason not to use Benadryl try that and see if that decreases the sweating enough to make a difference and not have any further worries with it. So you might want to consider that. But there is a there is an electrical procedure that dermatologists can do uh, to uh, deplete the function of those glands. And uh, I think where you need to go now is to a dermatologist. And I wouldn't go to just any dermatologist. I would call... Uh, this is usually going to be somebody in a large group or a university uh, call and ask if they have someone who helps with hyper, who's interested in it, because otherwise they'll just sort of blow you off because they're, you know, this this is seen as uh, just a, a nothing condition, and it's not a nothing condition. It can be very, uh, very concerning, and you can't go out and stuff like that. And so, right. yeah. So if you can't find somebody, uh, close to you, uh, then just send me an email and I'll, I'll do the homework for you and we'll see if we can find somebody who uh, is willing to see you and work on this, okay? Hey, fantastic. Thank you so much. Good, good to talk to you. Appreciate the kind comments. Uh, those are not required. You can still talk to us without saying, we like you. you. You can say, I don't like you, but I hope you don't. So let's go to Greenwood and talk to Willie. Hey, Willie. Hello, uh, thanks for taking the call, Dr. Rick. Sure. Uh, I'm calling, I'm calling Reverend to the animal shortening and the Lord, hydrogenated Lord, the sound is some of this, uh, uh, cornmeal mix. Is it healthy for an individual to, uh, eat this type of cornmeal that contains such ingredients as Lord, hydrogenated Lord, and, and animal shortening? Is this a, a home remedy or is it something you buy in a bottle? So it's something you buy in the bottle, like jiffy corn mix and stuff like this. Oh, okay. Well, and it's for a skin condition? No, it's, uh, it, it's corn meal. It's corn bread that you just add sugar. I mean, you just add milk and egg to it. And you eat it? You make cornbread out of it? Right. It's a, it's a corn meal mix. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So, So you know what lard is, don't you? So, mm, yes, well, uh, it's, it's animal fat. That's okay. what it is. And uh, before we had the availability to get, and, and it's loaded with, the reason it's globby, it's uh, hydrogenated, 
There's a lot of hydrogen in there. And uh, hydrogenated fat is one of the causes of plugged-up coronary arteries. So used to everybody fried fish and uh, fried chicken in lard, and that's one of the reasons that we have this epidemic of obesity now because there's so much fat in that that some of it's absorbed, especially if you bread the those particular foods. You, it, it tastes delicious, but it, it's bad for you because it increases the amount of fat you get, causes uh, uh, weight uh, problems. And in a few people who have uh, certain types of uh, hypercholesterolemia, it makes them worse. Most hypercholesterolemia is genetic more than what you eat So, um, uh, and related to your weight. So I don't use anything with lard in it. That's the bottom line. I think it's not something we ought to be eating. And everybody used to make cornbread with lard, but there are much better uh, ingredients. And if you need an oil, uh, then there are better ones than that. And in particular, uh, things like canola uh, you have much less of that hydrogenated fat. Anything that's solid is hydrogenated. So uh, the... The even even some of these low fat butters that we get, they still have been hydrogenated. So you'll have some hydrogenated f- fat mixed up in there. So no, I think I'd get one of the other mixes that didn't have lard in it. And you can make really good cornbread with some mixes uh, that you get at Kroger's and other places. Uh, and I know just got myself in trouble. I have no Kroger stock either. If you have some, you want to give me. I could really use it. Uh, But uh, no, don't use that. Thanks for your call, Willie. Let's go to Will in Long Beach. Hey, Will. Will, are you there? I think we lost Will. Will wanted to know about kidney function. And uh, so let me say just a minute about that till we reconnect with him if we can find him. Kidney function uh, is obviously very important, and the most common cause of bad kidney function is high blood pressure, uncontrolled high blood pressure. It's a silent killer, and that's why you want to have your blood pressure checked. And when you have your regular physical exam, when the doctor gets, uh, or the nurse practitioner uh, gets a, or the phys- physician assistant gets a uh, metabolic panel, one of the things they get on that is a serum creatinine. And the creatinine is a very good marker of how your kidneys are working. And uh, it, so if you're concerned about your kidneys and how they're working, just ask your doctor what your creatinine should be. Another common question I get all the time is, who needs to take vitamins? Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's a tough, tough answer because probably if you eat well, you don't, nobody needs to take vitamins. Vitamins are included uh, is in fruits and vegetables in large quantities, especially green vegetables. Uh, there are certain people who do need to take multivitamins, and these are people who have syndromes of chronic diarrhea, Uh, and people who have had bariatric surgery. When you have bariatric surgery, you have trouble absorbing uh, copper and zinc, and you can get a a skin condition from that and some other problems. Vitamins D, E, A, and K are fat-soluble. That means they can accumulate in your body, and you can get side effects from being overdosed with D, E, A, and K. So you don't want to take those without having some medical advice. Right now, vitamin uh, uh, right now vitamin D is the most popular vitamin to talk about, and the medical literature has suggested that it cure, cures everything. And one by one, all of those everythings are being knocked off in clinical trials. And in fact, it appears that we're over-treating some people with vitamin D. But on the basis of what's available, the science that's available now, I still check vitamin Ds and replace them if they're very low 
because you need vitamin D to absorb calcium and have strong bones. So we do look at vitamin D, and most people in Mississippi, even with our sunny climate, uh, have low vitamin Ds if they're seniors because they don't get enough sun, and uh, which makes vitamin D. So many people are taking 1,000 or 1,500 uh, uh, micrograms of vitamin D a day. So uh, th- there you go. There you go. Uh, there are good vitamins and bad vitamins. The bad vitamins are the ones that you can get intoxicated with, and the good ones are the ones that wash out your kidneys. And an everyday cheap as you can get it multivitamin uh, from your drugstore uh, should be fine uh, without any trouble because they don't usually put any of the bad vitamins in there. So if you just got to take a vitamin, get yourself a daily multivitamin uh, from your drugstore, etc., and that uh, should make you feel better. All right, so you've been listening to Southern Remedy, another uh, episode, and I need to get uh, a couple of more emails uh, cleared out today. My 60-year-old brother-in-law will probably have to go on dialysis in the very new fu- f- near, very near future and is considering peritoneal dialysis because it can be done at home. I've never heard of that and only know of hemodialysis. Can you explain some of the pros and cons? And Debbie's from Daphne. There are lots and lots of pros and very few cons. Uh, uh, People, uh, if you're lucky, you can be managed on uh, peritoneal dialysis for years, and you don't have as many of the problems Uh, which are primarily injury to your blood vessels that occurs with hemodialysis. Uh, Folks who get on hemodialysis from the procedure uh, alone have a limited lifespan, whereas that doesn't happen with uh, home uh, home, uh, peritoneal dialysis. There's some people that can take it, can use it, some that can't. And if it's offered, always take that first. And if you want to know the specifics of it, send me an email at southernremedy.mpbonline.org, and I will send you more information than you want on, on peritoneal dialysis. It's been great being with you again. You've been listening to Southern Remedy, a, a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, supported by an unrestricted grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We're here every day at this time. Love to hear have you hear us tomorrow on Southern Remedy. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.